Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Damn That's Crazy. Um, for this week's episode, I thought that it was important to take a step back from the movement to talk about something that also weighs very heavy on my heart, and that is sexual assault. Um, I know that this is a very sensitive topic and traumatic issue, but I think it's important that I cover it. If you or someone you know has been affected by assault or abuse, please reach out to someone you trust, um, even me if you'd like, um, or contact Rain's Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-4673. Hello guys, welcome back. I don't know why I'm smiling because this is about to be kind of heavy episode, but I have my baby Ellie here and that's why I'm Hello. smiling because I miss her. I miss you too so much. Uh, don't make me cry. <laughs> but yes, on today's episode, as I said, we're going to be talking about um, trigger warning, sexual assault and sexual harassment which I think is very important to discuss. I know it's not related to the movement, which I've been talking about, but I felt it was important to take a step back kind of and talk about this as well. Um, so, got a lot to talk about here, Ellie, so bear with me. <laughs> of course. But, um, the first thing I wanted to bring up was how I know a lot of people like to justify, quote-unquote, justify, um, like, the fact that oh, you know, what about the people that lie about, like, sexual assault? Or what about all the false um, cases that are reported? And I'm like, it really does not matter that people lie about it because, first of all, there are very, very few reports that are actually false. I wish I had the statistic. Unfortunately, I couldn't find it. But, um... It's just that argument is always used as a way to invalidate actual survivors. Um, And I wanted to kind of get your perspective on that and what you think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I wish that I could speak on the statistics as well. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. I also don't have that information. Yeah. Um, I think it's really unfortunate that amidst all of the recent uh, sexual assault allegations that have come to light, the first thing that many of our peers think is, um, I can't believe that my friend would do this sort of thing, or it doesn't right. seem like them, or what are the chances that the story is misconstrued? Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely am in no place to speak on the number of cases that do contain false allegations or not. But right. what I think is interesting that people fail to recognize that, especially in our educational institutions, we're, we're at a disadvantage already mm-hmm. with Title IX, for example, being or rather containing um, like enumerated standards that they're supposed to go through and then trying to apply those standards on a case-by-case basis as if there's no nuance to everybody's story. Mm -hmm. They just kind of plug and chug, for lack of a better term, um, the ways in which they go about solving the cases or beginning to investigate an allegation. And the nature of that investigation makes it really, really difficult for survivors to come out and explain their story or to be comfortable doing so in a safe environment just because (laughs) the nature of the way that they go about it is in my opinion um relatively unjust and not fair in any capacity yeah um it's just 
because well and especially because the nature i don't think people quite realize how deeply rooted the structural nature of title nine since it was established what like 1972 i believe Mm -hmm. um the nuances to title nine that are reapplied and reinvestigated over and over again as our administration changes and the ways in which those policies are applied on an individual basis People don't realize that part of the root of the problem and perhaps why people are suggesting that there are larger percentages of false allegations, do you ever stop and think that maybe it's because when you ask a survivor to retell their story over the course of a week, as many as a hundred plus times, that there's not going to be nuance in the story and therefore gaps and cracks to make it seem as though somebody who's just gone through this traumatic event is lying again yeah. for lack of a better term lying about their instance the answer is yes of course because the number of times that a survivor has to go to title nine for example in the first instance and explain the story mm. and then they're redirected to residence halls to explain the story again to their professors to their extracurricular activities to their parents to their families they have to retell it over and over again and of course there are going to be discrepancies yeah. the more that you have to explain something yeah, of course. I mean, everyone knows it's literally basic psychology. Trauma makes you, like, lose memory a lot of the time. So it's not even exactly. like, oh, they're lying, they're trying to be untruthful, oh, they're leaving things out. No, it's literally, like, this is something that's extremely traumatizing for so many survivors. So, of course, having to tell it over and over again, it's just building on that trauma, and then they're bound to forget something. And if exactly. not even forget something, it's just, like talking about it is bad enough you know right and you could definitely i could see where people um apply that same argument to the responding party yeah because of course having being accused of something as um serious in your educational environment as sexual assault sexual misconduct dating violence etc um i could see that applied as well i just think that it's unfortunate that our current administration feels it necessary to change from a preponderance of evidence to what is it called clear clear and clear uh, clear uh i don't remember to tell you the truth but it's just uh, ridiculous quite honestly yeah because the process is i mean i've i'm not going to sit here and act like i know what it's like but from what i've heard the process itself is was already broken and then to make it even more broken is just absurd <laughs> You know. Yeah, well, and of course, if you take something so stringently and so strictly enumerated as the Title IX mm-hmm. um, regulations or procedural necessities in your educational environment, it's like you, <laughs> you, can't, you can't expect a certain set of enumerated rules to be readily applicable and easily applicable to every single situation. Yeah, There's just, always going to be a discrepancy. Yeah. And and the fact that um Title Nine is like an overarching thing. It's not it's not specific to your university. It's everybody has a Title Nine panel, investigators, mm-hmm. etc. So it's really they're just doing their job, their duties to the federal government, and it's not necessarily in one person's favor or the other. Yeah. Um so for example, when you have a title nine case that's under investigation and something comes up where it's necessary to involve student conduct or residence life which are two institutions that are specific to your university they don't 
they don't converse with each other about the nature of the situation that's going on. So it's difficult for, <laughs> it's really difficult to get a sense of what's actually going on when you have three different sanctions within your university that have three different recollections of your story yeah. from one week to the next to three months down the line when Title IX officially files the final investigation. So it just makes it really, really difficult. Imagine my head hurting right now. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just trying, I'm just like struggling to process how they think that this would be effective. And you know, I, not to be like accusatory but it kind of makes you question whether they're actually trying to help these survivors because like i'm looking at um some of the new new things about the new title nine rule um they removed the 60-day timeline so the schools can literally drag out these investigations for as long as they want so that could be months at a time maybe even like a year or two well Sorry, go ahead, continue. No, no, you're fine. Um, yeah, you can imagine how, like, among everything else, <laughs> literally it reduces their obligation against sexual harassment, like, to investigate. Right. Actively investigate, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that was the entire purpose of the 2017 Obama administration implication yeah. or uh, regulations. That's when they were enacted. And the whole point was because we were having cases, especially, I think most notable off the top of my head was like UC Berkeley, where they had cases that they would prolong to the point where the respondent and the complainant would both have already been a year or so out of graduation before they would close the case out. And then you dip into all the nuances of, oh, well, you don't attend this institution anymore. And so you're not federally funded. So Title IX is not really um, responsible for the continuance of your case after you've already graduated yeah and also such regulations as for example um if you were to initiate a title nine case and the respondent decided that mid title nine case they were going to withdraw from the university having a rule to make it so that on their transcript it says that they withdrew from the university amidst a Title IX investigation. It's small things like that that really make all the difference in, in how a case is conducted yeah. and the loopholes and how people can or can't escape the like, inevitable investigation that's going to happen three yeah. months from now or two years from now. Um, I feel like eliminating, did you say, was it a 90-day requirement? A 60-day, uh, yeah. 60-day requirement. Eliminating that just puts more burden on the panel as well, because at least at my university, um, the Title IX panel is comprised of, I think, five or so individuals with another woman who oversees those five individuals. So if you have a school, say, with 60,000 students in it, and you have five people that are supposed to oversee all of the Title IX investigations, there's no possible way under a 60-day contract that you're going to be able to finalize and close those cases yeah especially because title IX has no legal authority so depending on if you're a private or public university they may um they may extend you different offers for example if you wanted to postpone a hearing what they call a hearing mm-hmm. um in informal hearing obviously if you wanted to request to postpone it for two weeks you're allowed to do so yeah. and then 
the other party can also postpone for two weeks or so. So it's just that that also leaves it's room like for them to be able to. Exactly. As well as while you're dragging those cases out, new cases are arising and you're having to go through those. And so you're trying to expedite the process. You're not doing a very good job of investigating the critical nature of what's actually happening. So you're leaving a lot of room for inherently categorizing which cases you think are more important, which do you think need to be expedited, which do you think need to be dragged out. And you're putting that stress, you're putting that, that decision in the hands of two people, university students, who are who really don't are not in a place where they should be deciding whether or not they want to drag it out for two weeks so this needs to get done immediately does that make like yeah no that makes sense sense. (laughs) yeah yeah it did yeah so i just can't believe that like out of all of the things that are that in my opinion are flawed with title nine i think that having that 60-day mandate is a really important thing just to hold to hold everybody accountable yeah because if you the Listen, just the way that law works in general, and just crime, any sort of anything bad, the longer it's dragged out, the worse it gets. Not just in terms of like trauma for survivors or whoever, but just it because things get more hazy, like accounts become less credible. And just as time goes on, there's even less motivation to actually investigate thoroughly. So removing that timeline that specific amount of days that it needs to be investigated like finished up is just it's very very disappointing to me it is most definitely i definitely agree i just because i'm just thinking about how many like if you can imagine like you said like our institution with like let's say sixty thousand students you can imagine how many assault cases there are or have been, how many reported, but they're not even, nothing's going to happen because, oh, we don't have time to, you know, or yeah, well, let's spend more time on this one than on another one. Exactly. What good is to come of that? Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And that the fact that a timeline is a necessity aside, the other really difficult factor in allowing a case to drag on for multiple months multiple weeks multiple months whatever it may be is that um many people don't realize that at the beginning of a title IX investigation there are three options that um the complainant can choose from as to how they want to proceed with the investigation um and it's it's a weird it's a weird like pseudo law type thing where um they give you a piece of paper and it has cute little diagrams with cute pictures etc on it um and i don't know if that's standardized maybe it's just my university (laughs) but the three options the three options consist of the first option that they introduce which is we can bring the respondent in to the same room Mm -hmm. and you can discuss and agree upon what type of academic disciplinary action you want to settle with quote settle with um and the other the other is kind of a variation of that where instead of personally talking talking out the dispute they will have the title nine panel review the evidence that they're given within the period of like two weeks or so Mm -hmm. and then it'll be the panel who decides um and discusses with the respondent 
what type of academic disciplinary action they think is appropriate for the nature of the case that's being proposed. Right. So that's the second option. And then and the third option is what they call a full investigation, um, where they collect evidence over the course of two or three weeks. They interview witnesses, text messages, phone calls, et cetera, et cetera, um, university security footage, if that exists. Mm-hmm. And so they do act as though it's pseudo criminal court trial, where at the end of their reviewing of the evidence, you write up a draft report, the respondent and complainant confirm the draft report or choose to edit it. And then this is the process that ends up taking a month, two months, and then is prolonged by both parties involved where they, at the end of it, will in fact have you or invite you both to be sitting in the same room together in front of the Title IX panel with one advisor of your choice. And the advisor doesn't necessarily have to be a university official. It could be a friend, a family member, um, a lawyer, if there's a concurrent criminal case Um, And so you'll all sit down, present your evidence, cross-examine each other through a moderator, Mm -hmm. and then at which time the Title IX panel will come up with their decision. They'll decide if there is a preponderance of evidence or not, which is more than 50% likely that the incident did occur or did not occur, um, at which time they will implement whatever academic disciplinary action they deem acceptable. So it's it's difficult because when you say... When you say that, yes, I want to do the full investigation, Mm -hmm. or no, I want to, in some strange, mind-boggling way, quantify the extent to which this person hurt me, and then quantify that into an academic disciplinary action that I think is substantial enough to the point where I won't won't hold it personally, I won't be affected by it. It's just, there are so many beforehand steps that that need to take place before you eventually go into a full investigation and the ways in which they propose that you go into a full and full investigation are interesting because they'll present you with options one and two do you want to settle and then they'll ask you again are you sure you don't want to settle because this process is going to take a long time are you really sure that you want to do this process and they'll ask you questions like that where you think oh geez well now i'm starting to to doubt whether or not I want to wait six months, or yeah. sorry, not six months, three months. Um, yeah, you know, so, it just it just all goes back to kind of like institutions failing to hold these, I will call them abusers, accountable, really. Because like you said, it's even like, oh, are you sure you actually want to, you don't want to settle, like you actually want to go through with this, the timeline, whatever. It's exactly. really... I can imagine how discouraging it can be because it's like you, a person was hurt. Um, they deserve justice for their pain. And instead of getting that just justice, like immediately or as quickly as they can, someone is trying to kind of block that and separate you from what happened in a sense. Yeah, um, definitely. And, and it's just, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and, um, in continuance of that, what's still mind-boggling to me is that going back to the idea of having five panel officers or so, mm-hmm. you're assigned two so that um, they can kind of check each other and make sure that the things that they're documenting are accurate. So you have two of those five and the um, complainant will go to them, the survivor will go to them, mm-hmm. explain their story. And so these are the two people that they first explain the full story to, hopefully, mm-hmm. if not their um, RA or RHAD, et cetera. Um, 
but so then these two people are the same people who carry out the official investigation. They are the panel when the full investigation ends up happening X amount of time down the line. So it's interesting how you could expect or to even think that these two people who have stuck by the survivor's side since the beginning won't have some type of bias or preconceived notions about the way that the full investigation is going to go. So to think that what you're proving at the end of the investigation is a preponderance of evidence greater than 50%, do you not think that they wouldn't be able to know that when they're initially presented with the evidence of the case? Because within the first week, they probably already have all of the evidence that they're going to get minus any witnesses that come up or any um, nuances that need to be clarified later down the road. Right. All the administrative side, the paperwork, etc. All the evidence is right there in front of them when the survivor goes and explains the story initially. Mm-hmm. The evidence doesn't change at the end. So why is it? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense to me yeah. that you wouldn't be able to <laughs> expedite the process right then, make it so it's two weeks down the line or three weeks down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, they already know what the decision's going to be. Yeah, but they have to act like they're neutral the entire time. If or if not, if if they do believe that there is a preponderance of evidence, or if there's not, they probably like already know what the decision is going to be. So why is it the same two people that are going to cross-examine at the end if they already know what their outcome is going to be? It just doesn't make any sense to me. It does not at all. <laughs> You're damn right. Especially especially in cases where universities. This is so funny to me, and I love this phrase, innocent until proven guilty by an institution that has zero legal authority and is funded by the federal government, which is why they're required to have Title IX in the first place. Yeah, and they're so, have... so ready to die for their image that they probably won't even try to bring any of this to light. Exactly. So in cases where, for example, the two parties are living in the same residence hall mm-hmm. and... <laughs> And the case we going to get into that when you're ready. We going to get into that. <laughs> and the case is introduced with a clear and present danger yeah. residing in the same place of residence as the survivor. And the reason that you can't remove one of the two parties from their shared place of residence is because you are upholding the innocent until proven guilty standard by the same two people who saw the preponderance of evidence at the beginning of the case and will see mm-hmm. the exact same thing at the end of it. Yeah. It makes no sense. Not at all. Let's not even mention the fact that the incident also occurred at said residence hall um, where yeah, both exactly. parties reside. Well, exactly. And you know what? It's so, it's so funny how they'll enumerate X, Y, and Z rules that sound very sophisticated, very well planned out and superficially that they're going to be upholding a 50-50 standard for both parties. Um, mm-hmm. But then they won't, they won't invest in things such as video cameras in staircases, yeah. video cameras in elevators yeah. um, to make <laughs> living situations just safer in general. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a small investment for a larger cause for probably years to come, many, yeah. many students. And so it just puts students at a disadvantage. And that goes back to the conversation of having to relive your traumatic story over and over again, because yeah. your school can't install video cameras or because at they're a not very large and wealthy institution as well. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just, yeah. Wow. And even in cases where there is a preponderance of evidence and they act as though 
video footage is the only thing that can definitively prove if a survivor is telling the truth is yeah. astounding to me. Text messages, phone calls, subpoenaed phone calls from criminal court. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it doesn't Imagine uh, how much I hate it here. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I just like, every time I think about this, it just, oh, it breaks my heart to say the yeah. absolute least. It breaks my heart, but I also get so infuriated. Like, yeah. I just can appreciate that, you know, there are some people that are strong enough to not only come forward with their stories, but kind of create um, outlets, if you will, for other people to come forward and to share their stories and to know that they're not alone. Um, yeah, well, and I'm so... Cliche, but yeah. No, yes, but not at all, you know? It's, yeah. it's so, so difficult. And actually, the dichotomy of people who think that it's just, like, a ridiculous thing for people to come forth with other stories as though they want attention or they want x y and z social media clout whatever for lack of a better term again it's just i don't know i'm it's so happy that in my friendship circle that it's been such an empowering thing and i've been able to be in touch with many many people yeah. and just it's quite eye-opening to hear about the number of cases that do get swept under the rug yeah um and There's just so many there's just so many yeah, well, on that on that note as well, the fact that you do or do not adhere to federal regulations of Title IX is all fine and good, whatever. Yeah. But then, depending on if you're a private or public university, there are extra things that you are and aren't allowed to do, such as a gag order on survivors for not sharing their story with other branches, capillaries of your institution. Right say you are not allowed to discuss this case with any person who is not involved until it is final and finished i never know that yeah well and it's surprising how often people will come forward and threaten you overtly or tell you things like you probably don't want to tell your story to public safety because you don't want to misconstrue it so you should probably only tell me all the evidence that or whatever it is that you want to tell me about the case the details mm -hmm. of the case um and this is just in my case and i i really can't speak for any other cases um it's usually it's usually unlikely that you will have a title IX case concurrent with a criminal case yeah and i think that's for a very specific reason that reason being that if you're living in university housing, which I'm sure many undergraduate students are, the majority yeah. I would even say, are living in university housing, the first person that you will probably confide in if you have something to report is your RA, your RHAD, mm -hmm. maybe a close professor, et cetera. Um, and in my case, what was interesting is that when I went to go report my incident, I, my RA was gone for the weekend. So I actually, I believe I went to your RA. Yeah. <laughs> two floors above. Um, and she called me into her room and she said, you're going to have to wait. This was on a Friday. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to wait until Monday to report a Title IX incident because the office is closed. <laughs> and I said, okay, then I would like to speak to the RAD or the RHAD because I believe that there's a clear and present danger that's going to recur over the weekend if this is not solved immediately or if I'm not immediately removed from this place of residence. Yeah. And 
she said, you can't speak with the RHAD or the RAD because they are both on vacation. So it was an uncomfortable position where she was suggesting that I wait until Monday, knowing the facts of the case and knowing that what happened was an arrestable offense. Mm-hmm. She recommended that rather than going outside and reporting to the police department, that I wait until Monday. That's absolutely and, um, ridiculous. <laughs> That's absolutely ridiculous. The fact that they were even... Okay. The fact that they were on vacation. Something... I don't even know why they're on vacation during the school year. Let's start there. (laughs) Okay. Exactly. But also the fact that you have a duty to... If you're going to be at that status, like whether you're a residential assistant or a residence hall director, I forgot what the acronym stands for, but you have a duty to students completely and utterly. You might as well be blood related to them because that's how much of a responsibility you have to them. So to think that while you needed someone to be there for you, like you needed those people to report what happened to you um, and they needed to be there to protect you, um, and they weren't there. It's just, it's laughable, but it's also just insane. Also, the fact that <laughs> you're given the facts of the case, which were clear cut exactly what had just happened 30 minutes prior, and you don't have the breadth of knowledge to understand an arrestable offense when you see one, and in fact, suggest that business days to, to file a Title IX claim. Yeah. complaint whatever it's called um yeah that you don't that you don't have the breadth of knowledge to suggest that they do in fact go to the police department and have that person arrested yeah and that they would rather you wait to protect that person and uh. even <laughs> the fact that even the fact that the person was arrested a few days later returned to the residence hall and then was told that they were allowed to continue residing in the residence hall until the university with no legal authority <laughs> claims that they're innocent until they're proven guilty when they've already been arrested on multiple charges of horrific things hearing it again just makes me want to cry bro cuz like mm. yeah it's just i'm just like i i just really can't even imagine Well, and then to dive even deeper, Mm -hmm. not that this has to be about my personal experience in any capacity, we can talk about Title IX. (laughs) No, if you, no, if you want to, like, I was actually going to ask you later, if you're comfortable, like, you can completely share if you'd like. yeah, most definitely. No, I'd love to share. Um, I think the most difficult part of, I hate to say it, but feeling like I have to prove myself to somebody else to prove what actually happened and I don't even want to say proof because I think that the information that I laid out was was proven yeah. immediately. There's no question about whether or not it did or did not happen. Yeah. Um, but I requested. So- sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say I requested, per public safety's recommendation, I requested that um, my abuser be removed from my place of residence because we shared a place of residence. Yeah. I requested that he immediately be, be removed to what they call emergency housing. Mm-hmm. for individuals that need to move for xyz reasons yeah. um and i was sitting in this room that had a 
full panel glass window and you could see across our courtyard into the adjacent building Um, and as I was sitting there literally in tears explaining to this woman she was the emergency residence hall director for the night so she came at mm, I want to say like 10 or so in the evening to speak with me and as I'm sitting there the window is fully open and I told her that I was worried that my abuser was going to be arraigned within 24 hours and he was going to be allowed to return to our shared place of residence where there are zero cameras on any floor in any elevator and I requested that he be removed and she was explaining to me that they're not allowed to do that and that he's innocent until proven guilty and that he is allowed to continue to reside in his place of residence unless there's a clear and present danger defined as having a personal weapon on you or possessing drugs or alcohol. What about the fact that he assaulted you? Is that not, not more than enough? Well, and the crazy part is, as I was sitting there and she's telling me that she's not allowed to remove him when he comes back. Oh, she also assured me. She assured me that she was in close um, conversation with the police department and that she was 100% positive that there was no way that he was returning to the residence hall that night. Mm-hmm. When 30 minutes prior, I had just gotten off the phone with a district attorney and she said, you might want to leave or go stay at a friend's house tonight because he's going to be arraigned in the next three hours and he's come, coming back to your place of residence. But she's the RHD who's speaking with me is assuring me that there's no way he's going to come back. And as she's telling me this, I look out the window and he walks out of the elevator and into the courtyard. And I turn to her and I'm just completely in tears, in awe, like my heart is racing. And I looked at her and I was like, that's him. And she turns around, glances at him, looks back at me. And she goes, how do you know that's him? And she sits there for another few minutes asking me how I'm 100% positive that that is him before she gets up and walks to public safety to confirm that it was him who checked into the residence hall. And that was just the most disappointing part for me was he, <laughs> he's standing right there and you're questioning my intellect. Why? You're questioning my ability to recall what my abuser looks like. You know, the incompetence of some of these professionals, and I use that in quotes and very loosely, even in quotes, um, is astounding. You want to ask someone who this is unspeakable trauma. um, You want to ask them how they know that that's their abuser. Maybe because that image of that person replays in their head so many more times than you could even imagine. Um. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, God. How do you know? That's really the icing on the cake for me. It, no, How it do you really, know? really was. Um, yeah, so at that point, it was just, I just completely lost faith in my institution's ability to properly handle a case that, at least in my eyes, was, was incredibly dangerous. Yeah and proven to be dangerous over the course of many months preceding the actual reported incident. Yeah, professionals are so trained for situations like that, yet they can't even recognize 
isn't that a little out of the ordinary like all of your best friends kind of go somewhere and you stay behind and this incident happens exactly and yeah oh my goodness and then emulating criminal court but not at all it's more of a distortion than it is an emulation of the procedural nuances that happen in criminal court where you have many many legal individuals reviewing evidence refuting conceding to evidence Mm -hmm. discussing it outside and for an institution that boasts i don't know an acceptance of this new policy where rather than a preponderance of evidence it's now and again, I wish I knew what the term is called clear and something, but where it's, mm-hmm. it's more likely 75% rather than 50 or 80% even. Yeah. Um, for them to not take into account the fact that you're probably going to need more than two specialized individuals to accurately depict the facts of the case and discuss them and make a just decision. And that's yeah. not to undermine their intellects at all. I know that um, at least the two um panelists that I was working with were incredibly educated in their field mm-hmm. and they had backgrounds in law enforcement and just general litigation um but it's still it's just it's the sheer number of people that responded to it and that mm-hmm. I had to personally go to and speak with instead of having an overarching statement that would then be sent out to multiple cavalries of my institution yeah that's even what I was going to say, you know, a lot of the times, I know I was criticizing um, a lot of officials at our institution, which I still am, but um, <laughs> the thing is, a lot of the times, it's like, there are people that know what they're doing and how to handle situations like this, but it might not even get as far as them, which is what's terrifying and sickening. Um, exactly. Because there are just so many facets of this and so many ways that things can be done wrong and it doesn't even get to the point of where like two people who can do it right you know yeah exactly as right as they can yeah and again the failure of the different um aspects of the institution Mm -hmm. whom both parties are involved with to acknowledge that maybe a case with student conduct, drug, alcohol affiliations, um, Mm -hmm. Greek life affiliations, they fail to recognize that those affiliations are inextricably wound with a Title IX case. Yeah. But the interesting thing about it is that student conduct does not converse with Title IX in any capacity. So so it's just... (laughs) If, if you're questioning something that is related to student conduct, where um, a survivor is caught up in, say, something as serious as, like, a drug deal on campus, right. they do not take into account the fact that there's a concurrent Title IX investigation going on where the survivor was likely in a spot of manipulation, mm-hmm. of sexual violence, dating violence, where they were unable to escape the things that were going on yeah. in that that separate case they don't take that into consideration yeah the pointing that institutions don't recognize that um how intertwined a title nine case can be with all other aspects of student life especially because yeah. the definition of a title nine investigation or um the definition of how to formally 
establish an investigation is that there has to be evidence that the incident that occurred is disruptive to one party's education or academic affiliations. So it's interesting to to discuss the nuances of those being intertwined, but but disregard how a Title IX case and a Greek life affiliation or any type of student conduct affi- affiliation, extracurriculars, whatever it may be, yeah. to think that those are not also <laughs> inextricably wound is uh, very interesting to me. Yeah, because then the survivor worries about academic disciplinary action from student conduct, mm-hmm. while they're worrying about imposing academic disciplinary action on the abuser in Title IX. It's like it's just a whole other added layer of crap that doesn't need to be there. Yeah, it's a really weird web, if you will. Because my question is, um, which I was thinking about, I'm just like, why aren't they? I I guess why don't they have more of a relationship if that makes sense like why isn't title nine included with student conduct and why isn't student conduct included with title nine because title nine handles like abuse sexual abuse dating violence all of those cases that is misconduct by student student misconduct so why wouldn't student conduct also handled those cases i'm not saying they have to entirely take over title nine i think that would be something of a difficult feat but i definitely think they should be related or at least involved with these cases exactly or they should they should at least correspond with each other to the point where maybe in the form of like a a digital record that's easily Mm -hmm. accessible by both parties um but yeah, no, I wish I knew the answer to that. It's definitely nuanced and entangled with the whole conf- student confidentiality. Yeah, because um, I can't imagine that that type of abuse wouldn't be included in this code of conduct. Right. Well, and I was explicitly told, right, I was explicitly told upon meeting with student conduct mm-hmm. that anything that I say that is dishonest can and will be held against me during the student conduct investigation. And I just think like, uh, okay, so you, you can and will hold against me that I was more or less held against my will in this relationship, abusive relationship, and yeah. had no outlet to reach out to, I just, yeah, it, I don't know. It's just like, <laughs> I try to be factual and not let my emotions speak in terms of this but like it's so threatening yeah it's like so you're gonna try to hold it against me like oh maybe i was drunk when this happened yeah they're just looking for something to use to invalidate survivors and it's just it's sad (laughs) to say the absolute least once again it's just sad i don't know yeah definitely well and that's that's a whole different you mentioned uh being under the influence of alcohol Mm-hmm. It's interesting how Title IX has the leverage, the same people who are telling you from the beginning that they are there to help you. They're there to help you get through this, to extend resources to you on your path to recovery, um, are the same people who say things like, how much alcohol did you have to drink? Yeah, Do you as think if that's that some sort of justification. Exactly. Do you think that because you were inebriated under the influence of alcohol that 
this is why this incident took place. Um, my favorite one from my incident was, <laughs> quote, do you not have a best friend to talk to? Were they, it was, it was almost as though the information that I was telling them wasn't sufficient enough and that they were wondering why I didn't relay that same information to somebody that, that I trust. And that that was the reason why they were thinking that I was being dishonest with my statements. No, no nuanced statements. My statement was exactly the same since the first that I had to write it down for them. Mm -hmm. um, but that they needed some other outlet of understanding, of proof to, to understand what I was explaining to them. Even, even after, even after my roommates and some of my best friends went in to give their testimony and explain the nature of the relationship leading up to the incident, yeah. It was because that I didn't explain the details of the incident with some of my best friends or the horrific details in the weeks leading up to it that they believed that was the basis of believing that I was being dishonest with my statement. Um, and that's just really upsetting to me. And again, just, yeah, back to the, back to the idea that those are the same two people that stick with you for the entire time and yeah. are the ones that ultimately make the deciding factor in the end um there's it's not a very good system of checks and balances for an institution that's that's boasting that they're gonna implement some pseudo legal authority yeah um well first i want to say i'm so sorry i know that's uh, that's not pity or anything it's just like i am genuinely upset and disgusted that you had to go through any of that dumb shit yeah, well. <laughs> um and no, I'm so thankful for you, if I haven't already told you a million times, but thankful for you and our other really close friends a million times over for everything that you guys like helped me through. I'm so thankful for that. Um, it would have been so much more difficult if I didn't have you guys to go home to and to talk about things and to recognize like, oh my God, this is, this has been happening for the past almost a year. Yeah. Listen, um, protecting you is the very bare minimum I can do as a friend. So. <laughs> well, I'm so appreciative. So thank you a million times over. And you're welcome. Oh. To anyone listening, I'm not trying to like sensationalize what happened to Ellie or anything. It just... I think it's important because I know a lot of the time there are all these like stereotypes or kind of like false justifications. I use that in quotes to be like, oh, but like, yeah, this was bound to happen or like, I mean, that's not even really any type of violence or um, abuse, but it's like all, it doesn't matter whether you were dating, doesn't matter whether you initiated something um, and then decide to stop. None of that matters because it's it really is your body, your choice, um, to say the least. But it just because you date someone or are married to someone that doesn't entitle them to your being, um, to your person, just because you you might have initiated some sort of intimate act that doesn't entitle them to. It, that that doesn't mean that you have to continue. It's just like there's so many, so many things that it just doesn't matter. Like it doesn't <laughs> matter what started. It just 
it ends at a certain point when you're like no or just no more like Mm -hmm. but yeah that's why if you're comfortable that's what I think it would be you're definitely more than welcome to include um anything that I say um I'll I'll spare spare the audience of any uh weird details um I'll just kind of give the overarching situation um yeah so we in short we started dating gosh I even forget when it was like November of 2018 Mm -hmm. I believe it was and everything was okay at first everything went really well um and then all of a sudden certain certain habits started to arise that at least for me were kind of shocking and I I just thought why would you hit me why would you playfully hit me even if you think that it's cute or funny um why are you grabbing my face so aggressively and just you know small things like that that aren't that aren't overtly like I'm trying to hurt this person but they were definitely rented um a few of those times I especially in the title nine case those were very important photos that I had um of my face after my face or my body um after times were I had been hit by him. Those ended up being really important, as well as text messages. Just a completely erasable temper to the point where I would say something and it would just send him on a tangent of being so, like, disproportionately upset with me. So that continued for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, we we spent the summer together because we worked together. Um, and that was really, really difficult too. Um, there were allegations or suspicions that I had that he was seeing other people. And so I was trying to investigate into that because I knew that he wasn't being honest with me. Yeah. Um, and so it turned out that he had been dishonest and that he had cheated on me early on in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and his friends, he claimed that his friends knew about it and that they were okay with it and they were supportive of him experimenting with other people while we were technically in a relationship which turned out to be not true in the conversations that I had with his friends following um but so so there were instances documented instances of sexual violence leading up to the actual incident that occurred in October of 2019 um and the incident itself or rather the the little bit leading up to the incident is a little bit difficult for me to discuss because um and you don't have to at all it's, it's yeah well well I'm, I'm comfortable I'm just thinking about how I should <laughs> how I should word it for my own for my own sanity um yeah. so I play a sport competitively in New York City um and I was returning home from an event that I won and it was a two-day event, um, and I won a sum of money at the end of it, and as I was leaving the place where the competition was being held, a man approached me and started speaking with me about, you know, congratulatory things about my playing, about um, how well I did, how he was excited to have watched me play for two days, Um, and I was on the phone with my ex-boyfriend and the man who was following me ended up getting more aggressive with me to the point where he grabbed my arm which sent me into fight or flight mode (laughs) obviously 
So I ran to the nearest subway station, which I knew was a block or so away. And when I was at the top of the subway station, there were like two or three sets of stairs. And I just decided to jump the stairs so I could get away from him faster. Mm -hmm. But I ended up taking a really heavy fall to the bottom of the subway. Um, And I was pretty like frazzled, obviously. And the only thing that I remember after that was getting up and there were two men that were telling me to run into the subway and like go to the precinct, go home. But I had just taken this really nasty fall. So I was in a lot of pain um, and super, super frazzled again. So I, I went home and I took a shower before heading over to the precinct. But while I was in the shower, um, I started to notice that I was having a little bit of a, like a weird bodily dysfunction. Mm-hmm. At which point I realized, oh, sorry, my mom just called me. No, you're fine. <laughs> Um, so while I was in the shower, I was having like a, a weird bodily response to what I assumed was just because I took a really nasty fall down the stairs, Mm -hmm. um, which ended up, I went to the, the clinic to go see what was going on. And they informed me that they had to rush me to a different clinic as soon as possible. Um, and I don't remember a whole lot from that incident too, because it's really a blur for me, but, um, I ended up terminating emergency terminating a pregnancy that night um, that had lasted for 16 weeks um, and I didn't know about it so it was difficult for me in the sense that I remembered very vividly (laughs) the months of course leading up to this event and then just laying in the hospital bed and them asking me if I wanted to call my husband call my fiance call my parents do I want a birth certificate do I want a death certificate um she's a beautiful baby girl uh and of course I could recognize that but it was just it was such a shock to me that I didn't know um and so I decided to go home and I discussed it with him with my ex-boyfriend and he he didn't respond in the way that I would have hoped that he would he was he thought that it was more funny and it was obviously an indication of his immaturity to um, say the least. To say I'm the so very least. Uh, so that was a criminal case in itself, me getting pushed down the stairs. So that was one case that was stacked on my plate. Um, and then we ended up, my ex-boyfriend and I ended up breaking up a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I texted him, or he rather, he texted me. He would continuously call me, continuously text me telling me that he's worried about how I'm doing that he doesn't um and that he wants to talk about it because it's just as much my responsibility to him like he ha- it's my responsibility to him to inform him about like what happened with my body and my thoughts on how that all went down um and I have text message proof that I then gave to title 9 saying that clearly stated that I told him multiple times that I did not want to see him in person and that he, if he wanted to speak to me, he could speak to me over the phone or over text. Yeah. Um, and so October 19th of 2019, I was having a drink in my room with one of my best friends. Um, when I got a text message from my ex-boyfriend saying that he wanted to speak with me and I said, no, you will not be speaking with me. And that's final. Yeah. At which point he texted me and he said, open your door. So my friend that I was drinking with was immediately frightened. He had never met my ex-boyfriend before. 
and only heard obviously the bad things about him because we'd broken up at that point but so I told him I was like he's gonna be angry and this is not gonna go down well so I need you to go into the closet and you under no circumstances can you come out of the closet you have to stay in it so as I was putting my friend into the closet my ex-boyfriend bust into my room and he was just completely upset um and I told him that he wasn't allowed in and that he needed to knock if he wanted to come in um and then he helped himself to sitting down at my common room table um he told me just a bunch of really degrading things about my character about the way that I disrespected him by not giving him like the decency of discussing the details of my terminated pregnancy um telling me that none of his friends like me etc cetera, etc cetera, just really horrific things um at which point he was upset that I had texted our shared mutual friend and wondered where he was because I was genuinely afraid for my life. Um, He was upset that that friend then called me on my phone. He saw the phone call. He took my phone um, and ran out into the stairwell that has no cameras and is also relatively soundproof just because the nature of the fire escape doors are pretty heavy duty. Um, But so while we were in the stairwell, I was crying, begging him to just give me my phone back so I could go back inside. And my friend had left the closet at that point and was an ear witness a few floors up. And he was listening to the entire conversation, texting me, telling me that I need to come back upstairs right now. Um, at which point I was sexually abused in the stairwell. Um, and yeah, just... I'm like I'm visualizing it in my mind as I'm talking about it um and there's really just there's no words to describe really how afraid I was in that moment and even still when I think about it like it just scares me so bad to think that that he was even in a position where that undock like nobody would have been able to prove per se that it happened because there were no cameras and nobody heard it except for my friend who was two floors above and they deemed his testimony invalid because he didn't see it with his eyes. Um, but so after the incident, I went over to my other friend's house and I explained everything that happened to her. At which point I came back home, went to your residence hall director, um, went to the police and he was charged with three different, three different counts of sexual violence. Um, And then later, later on in the investigation, breaking and entering was an added felony. So I think it ended up being four counts of sexual abuse um, in, in all degrees, actually, I think there was first, second and third degree for each one of the charges. Um, Yeah, (laughs) it was, yeah, I don't know, that whole, that whole two weeks was really really traumatic for me um and even the fact that after something so dangerously clear and present happened it's like what what does it take what type of case do you need to be able to definitively acknowledge that this person needs to be immediately removed from your place of residence if not immediately removed from this academic institution yeah 
that he was arrested immediately on four different counts of sexual, three different counts of sexual violence and one felony count of breaking and entering that, that you realize how serious this is. And I explained that to the residence hall or the RA as well. And even after all of that information in greater detail, much greater detail was relayed to her, she still suggested that I wait until Monday to explain what happened. Um, and criminal court was actually interesting because they immediately subpoenaed all of my medical records to find that I had experienced a traumatic back injury as well. Um, during my encounter with my ex-boyfriend, he lifted me from the ground at one point um, and dislocated one of my like pre-existing herniated discs in my lower back. Um, so there is medical information from NYU Langone, as well as medical information from the abortion clinic that I stayed at for that day, um, as well as subpoenaing all of my testimonies to student conduct, public safety, some professors I confided in, Title IX, uh, video footage of my ex-boyfriend entering the residence hall at the the first entrance, checking into the residence hall, the exact times and dates, um, time stamping the photos that I had beforehand, and all of that evidence, saying it, screaming it from the top of my lungs to all of these people. And I had to wait, what do you, th I think it was like two months or so, I had to wait for them to officially close the case. And at the end of the case, <laughs> the only academic disciplinary action that he received was a persona non grata from my place of residence for the rest of my time at my academic institution, that he wouldn't be allowed to enter my place of residence. Um, and that he was gonna be on suspension, academic suspension. Luckily for me though, he ended up dropping out of the institution, but I just wonder what type of case does it take for you to recognize the severity of something um, and take appropriate action? Yeah. Because I don't, I really don't know how much more traumatizing that could have been for anybody to realize what was going on. Um, and yeah, the instance of the instance of terminated pregnancy is a whole other issue in itself, where we could talk about the results of a rape kit that I had to take information because because there was a concurrent criminal case with the man who pushed me down the stairs that they couldn't that it wasn't an accurate test of what may or may not have happened between me and my significant other at the time. Um, yeah, so, so it disappoints me to, to a great um, unfathomable extent that under our new Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos's reimagination of what Title IX should be that, that for some reason we need to change it so that it's, it's no longer a preponderance of evidence 50-50 that it's now 70-30 or 80-20. Um, and that you would discount a survivor's recollection on the basis of other people may have had false accusations in the past that never even were proven because the case likely got dropped on the basis of not having enough evidence to go through with a full investigation in the first place, that it was probably settled or that it was probably just dropped altogether. Um, it just is astounding to me that that you wouldn't err on the side of caution yeah. in helping survivors.
especially with the number of cases that people don't come forth and talk about. Or they don't realize until many years later, um, they don't find that strength or they're, they're helping themselves before, before they can feel comfortable sharing their experiences. Oh, you got me about to cry, dog. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. Oh, That's okay. Wow, I'm so sorry. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think there's not a single day that I don't think about, think about what happened in some capacity. It really influences the way that you go about your life. Yeah. If not the instance of sexual violence just seeing this thing that was created between two people and born out of such a toxic relationship um, and seeing characteristics of both of us in this fetus child, whatever you want to call it, that I had carried for 16 weeks for four months and had no idea that it was in my body. And then all of a sudden expelling it and then, it's like, how many incidents do we have to go through before we can uh, start to talk about something in realistic terms? Yeah. So grateful for such an incredible support network. Obviously, you guys, my closest friends, right when it happened, as well as the people that I've met in the past few weeks, um, just through sharing stories on Instagram and connecting with my peers about similar instances, mm-hmm. um, and just being there for each other and informing people on the weird loopholes of Title IX and the ways in which your academic institution may or may not throw you a curveball while you're mm-hmm. while they're seemingly trying to help you. Um, yeah. Yeah, wow. <laughs> um, uh, you're, you're just incredible. I don't know, man. Like, you're just incredible. Like, you, any survivor, it's just you so much strength I don't know I really oh gosh I was really trying to be concise too but I just I'm really at a loss for words because all of you you. have so much courage yeah no I'm I'm really very proud of people who are finding the strength and confiding in others to be able to come out and tell their stories Mm -hmm. um as well as cancel culture I'm really quite glad that uh these abusers are getting are being made public and uh yeah people aren't afraid or they have no inhibitions about holding people accountable I think that's really really important yeah you know even I well I wanted to say first um even any survivor that has not been able to come forward just know that you are so incredibly strong as well it doesn't just extend to the people that have come forward with their stories you have the strength to keep going and to push past that trauma Mm -hmm. and you I don't know I just hope you know that you're loved that's all that's all yeah most definitely well and yeah if anybody listening in any capacity wants help with resources wants to hear more about the nuances with title nine because there are many more um wants to discuss the new the new reimagination of what title nine procedures mean are always more than welcome to reach out to me. Yeah, I'll be sure to include um, where to contact you as well. 
if you ever need anyone to talk to, whether it's you, Ellie, or just anyone else out there about anything like this or in general that has affected you, please, please reach out to me. I don't, I always, I'm always on my phone. <laughs> I don't care if we're complete strangers, you don't even know what I look like, it doesn't matter. Just please, yes. please reach out to someone. If it's not someone you know, you can reach out to me. Just any resource, brain. Um, Planned Parenthood, just any resource, please. Most definitely. Um, always, always. But as well, yeah, going off of your point with um, cancel culture, I, you know, I really try not to subscribe to cancel culture, but this, <laughs> this is a special case. Oh, do you, Ariana? Uh-huh. <laughs> but <laughs> you're like, that sounds like a load of bull, and you're right. <laughs> um, but this is like a special kind of, like, because a lot of these people think they have some sort of immunity you know like or they rather think a that, free pass a free pass yeah, they think they have the freedom to kind of just like commit such heinous acts and then oh no it's fine we're talking about water under the bridge like i'm i'm not gonna get caught yeah no your ass is gonna get caught and i'm gonna be the <laughs> first one to show up to present it because exactly. i don't i can't even imagine doing something so horrible Mm -hmm. you know like you're any sort of assault in general it just you're taking away a person's sense of security Mm -hmm. and i i will be the first one to demand that you face repercussions for that yeah period point blank like i i said it um a couple weeks ago but i was like I don't care if I have to post, like, repost all of these, um, uh, what's the word, kind of people coming forward with their stories. I was like, I don't care if I have to post them every fucking day. I will keep doing it until the day I die, just so I can make sure that any and all abusers, in my knowledge, are outed, you know, even, even a former, I, I really, I feel disgusted to say friend, but he was a friend to me, um, and even though I had my own uncomfortable encounter with him that I brushed aside, um, he he was one of them. He turned out to be an abuser as well. And I can't say I was surprised per se, but it was disgusting because it even brought back my own. Um, yeah, yeah no, your own trauma as well as questioning your friendship with this person. And Yeah, all of that came rushing back. And it's just like, it, 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 I immediately, as soon as I read, um, that brave uh young woman's story i just immediately like cut off anything with him i did not care and the funny thing to me was that he he still you know he of course he did the whole like staying off of social media thing people were still calling him out and then when he came back he had the nerve to just pretend as if nothing happened nothing happened yeah nothing at all and my thing was like the um the young woman who came forward she had um a few demands i would call them um but they were it's not like anything insane like send me like even i wouldn't even say no no i completely i apologize for that i wouldn't even say insane because any sort of trauma like you deserve anything you demand anything you request but um she she asks very very basic things like educate yourself on consent um come forward and admit what you did um there was something else i can't remember but it was very reasonable 
oh mm-hmm. yeah donate some of the money that you've raised from being a musician holding these concerts to um some kind of educational tools like that educate people on consent um help people process their trauma stuff like that and he couldn't even do any of them mm-hmm. it's like it did not even matter to him in the slightest yeah and i still you know um i still kind of harp on this like y'all be not hating abusers enough for me because i'm like you you see this i know you heard about this why don't just brush this off or just picking and choosing picking and choosing which abusers you side with and which (laughs) you perpetuate the idea of cancel culture um and i agree you're not allowed to pick and choose if you find out that one of your friends is an abuser um with again enough evidence and even just the strength of the survivor to be able to come out and explain even a minuscule amount of the trauma that they faced with this person yeah you don't get to pick and choose you have a responsibility as a student as a peer as a member of your academic institution just as a person as a person as literally as a person regardless of your community even if a person goes to a different school you have a responsibility as a person to be a voice for the survivor to yeah, transcend to what they're trying to them. say exactly to be a helping hand and to always be in their corner and to be somebody that they can lean on whenever they want at any point of the process and for years afterwards yeah and it just it's i i know exactly what you're talking about and it disgusts me that somebody who i work so closely with in the academic institution but I also considered a very close friend mm-hmm. expected a free pass from his friends, from his As supporters, if he's like from people who attended. Exactly. Like, um, no one is invincible for this shit. I will make sure you are not invincible. Like, oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah, it's astounding. Oh gosh. <laughs> Okay, so shifting gears a little bit. <laughs> oh, shit, I'm sorry. Um, That's fine. Uh, well, actually, a quick point before I actually shift gears. Uh-huh. I was, um, this is a quick anecdote. I am um, a survivor from our institution as well. Um, she might even be in the same program as you now that I think about it, but that's unrelated. Um <laughs> she um she's brave enough to um come forward with her story and i reposted it on um my instagram story and uh abusers really be telling on themselves bro this random man who i never knew a day in my life i saw that um a couple people i i follow um were following him and i encouraged them to uh stop supporting him because of his actions but um, he had the nerve to come into my DMs talking about some, oh, like, yeah, the story's completely false. And I quote, stop believing everything on the internet. No. They and did now, not. as a host, y'all might not know me. And that's okay. Ellie, you know me as a person, <laughs> as a friend. So I was like, a word um i was like i might oh no i think he um blocked me so i don't know if i quite have the dms but i was like 
Well, first of all, um, I will always, 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 without fail, believe someone who comes forward. Um, that's just period. But even if in some other realm that she was lying, um, I would rather support a liar, quote unquote, and more quickly support a liar, quote unquote, than an abuser any day of my life until the day I die. One thousand percent. Because, you know, there are just so few, few cases out of all the ones that are reported. And those are just even the ones that are reported, not to map all the countless, countless ones that aren't reported, people that aren't even able to process their trauma until later in life, like you said before, or even all the thousands and thousands of rape kits that go untested every year. Exactly. Or dismissed um, by the people that you confide in, dismissed yeah. by your academic institution on the basis of insufficient evidence. Yeah, is... even just by people you know sometimes. Exactly. People you're supposed to trust. Yeah. But um, you do trust. So all of those cases, like, the f- tiny, minuscule amount of lies, like, not even, that does, that's not even, uh, what's the word, consequential, really, exactly. at all. Um, so I was like, I said all that, um, and I was like, you know, like, I know, I know abusers, um, I've been in a few abusive situations myself, but um, I know how abusers act, and I know that that's a very tactful thing that they try to do to be, just cause a doubt where however they can you know um Mm -hmm. but yeah I was like I I will not be fooled so I was like please do not contact me again or there will be more (laughs) yeah than what I'm giving you right now um and he was like okay fine like believe lies on the internet and I (laughs) you say okay I will no literally I was like just to be petty um (laughs) he's like a DJ or whatever I was like okay well like keep making shit music and being abusive I guess um not that I'm actually encouraging that but I was like yeah just keep uh trying to convince people that you're not a horrible person (laughs) yeah continue sounding like a complete idiot (laughs) wonderful thank you Mm -hmm. and um it's funny because I, I tweeted about it and um the the young woman who was brave enough to come forward she um she dm'd me because she saw my tweet and she's like yeah he, apparently he was like dming everyone that reposted it and i was like they really be telling on themselves they yeah, really oh be t- <laughs> i'm so Why sorry that, it's, that's not your business oh it's like God. not actually a lot like funny i'm just laughing because i'm like this is so dumb like you're it's really so telling on yourself yeah if every time this is reposted, you're DMing people trying to cause doubt and say that they're lying, don't, don't you think that's a little suspicious yourself? Like, even, you know you did it, but, like, don't you think that's a little sus? No? Yeah. Okay. She, like, no, that's fine. That's great. Like, I just, I don't get them. I, well, I guess that's a good thing, because I... I don't want to understand. No, you don't want to get it. Because that's sickening. Unnecessary. You can keep your evil to yourself. You have fun in hell. (laughs) And that hellfire, like, enjoy. But, um... Oh, my goodness. Oh, gosh. Okay, now to shift gears. I'm so sorry. (laughs) But, um... 
<laughs> um, I wanted to ask what um, sex ed was like at your school because um, I don't even, if I'm being completely honest, which is kind of scary if you think about it, I don't even recall having sex ed in high school, which is probably, in my opinion, like one of the more important times to have it. I think you should have it starting in, um, I think we started having it in like fourth grade. We talked about like reproductive organs and everything, but it's even, it just extends way beyond that, you know? Like right. there's the actual like physical act of sex and any type of sexual acts, but there's also consent, coercion, um, just like any type of um, entitlement or perceived entitlement mm -hmm. of someone else to your body. There's just so many other facets that need to be covered, but they're not because it's just like, okay, sex organs, sex, abstinence. Well, in our case, I, I believe in other parts of the country, they, um, they still provide a, what's the word? Fuck. <laughs> like mm. condoms and stuff. Tools oh, yeah. To have Contraceptives. Sex. Yeah. Contraceptives. Thank you. Yes. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think, a, there should definitely be sex ed in high school, and B, all of those things need to be taught, flesh out completely. Most definitely. I, um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed reading uh, people's experiences with sex, sexual education in elementary school, middle school, high school. I, I think that um, elementary school, your formative years, are incredibly important. Yeah. In at least my elementary school experience uh, was absent of any any other informative information besides um explaining what sexual organs were yeah. i do think that the more important conversation arguably the more important conversation and the the deeper conversation that can be extended to a classroom setting outside of the two days or so that you that you have sexual education um on the topic of consent it's difficult to especially for children from the ages what is it like probably nine through 12 or so yeah it's difficult to outwardly explain to them and expect that they understand what consent means in a sexual experience mm -hmm. so I think that it's really important rather than I don't know kind of talk at a brick wall about what it means to ask for consensual sex or confirm consensual sex whatever yeah. it's more important to initiate acts of consent that are not sexual yeah asking your friends if it's okay to give them hugs asking people if you would like to do something for them if that's okay that you complete that task um sharing things sharing experiences mm. informing the parents of exactly what it means because i remember in my experience uh with sex ed it was just a piece of paper that it would go home to your parents and it would be check yes if you want to opt out or don't return the paper if you um if you want to stay in there was no there was no delineation of what exactly sexual education was going, what type was going but to be taught, comprised in of. what capacity it was going to be. But yeah. I do think that it's very important to have a follow-up with parents or just any adult in the child's life that they might be living with, and whoever's in their home environment, um, to, to endorse acts of consent or instances of consent, asking for yeah. things politely, um, being respectful to your friends, um, and I think that that's absent in lots of elementary schools, which is really sad. And that that can obviously be perpetuated through middle school and through high school. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think school. that's something that really goes away, you know? Yeah, never. 
yeah. being kind to people, asking for things that you want, just being respectful of people's boundaries mm-hmm. extends way outside of whatever intimate experiences you might have with another individual. Yeah. Um, and I think that we need to kind of move away from the idea that sexual education is in any way humorous, especially yeah. to high schoolers, high schoolers who think that they're their egos are obviously inflated, hormones are rushing, whatever. (laughs) And they they just, they think that it's funny and that, haha, we're talking about penises. Oh my God, she just put a condom on a banana. (laughs) Like, because in high school, even I thought in high school, I was like, this is ridiculous. They're showing us a video of just this totally cheesy sexual experience that these two people are having. And it's just textbook, like, this is what this is. Mm-hmm. don't wear two condoms they're gonna break it's like mm-hmm. we never talked about um any other type of sexual relationship that anybody yeah. might have normalizing having feelings for any number a broad range of different types of people and yeah. acknowledging that it's okay to be sexually experimentative um experimental sorry yeah. um yeah it was just I don't know. There's just so many flaws, at least in my experience. Um, oh no, for and sure. And I wish, I wish, I wish that there was a more stringent, uh, categorized requirement for what sexual education has to be. Oh, not for just, sure. Yeah. Not just two days out of any given week, like once a year for four years of high school. Yeah. Um, there has to be a better, a better way to standardize a comprehensive program for students to take it seriously, to understand what it means. And I think that a lot of that as well is the fact that um, secondary institutions tend to veer away from, sorry, my thing almost is going to die, veer away from instances of sexual violence in high school or counselors who are dismissive of things that happen or normalizing the idea that boys will be boys, girls will be girls. Um, he's, he's making fun of you because he has a crush on you or uh, abuse. He's being mean because she has a crush on you. It's no, it's textbook abuse and it follows you into your later life. Mm-hmm. And it's something that's you, it's at that point, you can't reform it. It's like the act has already been done and yeah. it's too late. Cause it just, it's really just a perpetuation of rape culture, even from when exactly. it's like, like you said, Oh, if you, if he's messing with you, if he's teasing you, and making you uncomfortable, it's because he likes you. That's exactly. Not well, acceptable. and in in so many relationships, even in my college friends that I see, where they'll be playfully rude to each other or playfully hit one another, um, both both sides of the relationship will do it. Depending on what type of relationship you have, it doesn't really matter. But yeah. it just, I it astounds me that I'm like, oh, you just hit your boyfriend in the face because you thought that was funny, or you hit your girlfriend because you thought it was funny, you grabbed her face, you slapped her ass in public, like, I can't wow. imagine, like, <laughs> oh, God, it's beyond <laughs> and me, it's, it's And it's me. supposed to be, it's sexualized, and it's cute, and it's a public display of affection that's, yeah. um, in some so way, normalized. yeah, it just, yeah. And it's funny that those same people who perpetuate those actions will turn around and talk about sexual education necessities in secondary education. It's like, these are just micro manifestations of the things that we're missing from that type of awareness from when you were a kid. That part. Um, that's the part. That's the real part. 
and oh my god it's funny and it's funny that nobody nobody's above it nobody uh can evade what's what their tendencies are you just you just have to learn you have to unlearn things that you yeah. learned in your childhood or that I don't know we're absent for your life whatever it may be but mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's absent from a reminder of how to properly interact with significant others or just people in general that you have relationship encounters with whether it be your friends family significant others yeah it's always important to revisit that conversation and I feel like a lot of people don't because again it's so normalized yeah and even I guess this is also part, part of the um, normalization if you will I don't remember if that's a word <laughs> but just kind of like the idea of that oh if you ask you should be uncomfortable or you should feel like embarrassed to ask no it's okay to ask for like oh can like you said like can I give you a hug can I do this is it okay if we you know that's not mm-hmm. I um I believe I said in the actual first episode of this podcast but um I was saying it's I'd rather it quote-unquote ruin the moment than not have it at all exactly because it's so important to have the like even if I just want to give a friend a hug that's something that I should ask first and it's okay that I'm asking even yeah. if you're just like oh yeah of course like way better so to happy to ask yeah yeah exactly because we all we're all different we all have different boundaries you never know what someone else's boundaries are and it's okay and you should be respectful of that of their boundaries and boundary crossing isn't clear cut either so many yeah. people you have no idea what anybody's experiences have been Ever. like that if that have shaped their preferences and have shaped what they deem as acceptable that you might not or vice versa yeah um so really just having those conversations and normalizing any sort of weird uh quick feeling of uncomfort or discomfort in order to <laughs> evade a much larger perpetuated issue yeah um yeah erring yeah, on the side like, of human exactly yes literally and that's another thing that is not often discussed in sexual education is uh the nuances of people's preferences and that there are many different ideologies that exist in terms of what they want and what they don't want what's welcomed and what's not it's not just I'm going to forcibly have sex with this person, whether they like it or not. It's oftentimes that's not the case yeah. that yes, those are egregious, horrific cases and they need to be given justice to the fullest extent. But oftentimes it's the microaggressed things that make survivors think, Oh, it wasn't that bad. Or I didn't really like it, but most people do like it. So it's probably, okay. it's like, no, you want what you want. And if something happened to you that you did not want, that's harassment. Yeah. And, if, and yeah, that's not often discussed. Um, oh, not at all. How no, many even, can be. Yeah, you know, even, um, I don't know if I really want to get into it like that, but even some things that I've experienced, I'm just like, oh, that wasn't like assault. It was like, it wasn't that bad. But it's like, it doesn't, like, yeah. I get that there are varying levels, I suppose, but it's all bad none of it should Mm -hmm. happen you know and it's Um, consistently cyclical too like yeah because if if like god forbid an incident does happen to somebody and then you go explain it to somebody and try to get help for what happened they say things like why didn't you report it back then Mm -hmm. oh 
I couldn't process it. (laughs) Why didn't you make it known that you didn't want this to happen? It's like, why, what kind of questions are we asking? Are we looking for justice or are we trying to, (laughs) I don't know, are we trying to suppress what I'm trying to say? Exactly. Well, not victim, um, survivor blame, but yeah, Yeah. I just, it just blows my mind every single time because it's like, are you trying to help me? Are you trying to, are you coming at me accusatorily? Mm -hmm. I just, oh gosh. Yeah, no. Consent is key, people. Consent is key. If you didn't listen to any of what we just said, which was a lot, um, just Mm -hmm. know consent is key. Consent is key. And it's very important to apply that to long-term relationships as well. Because people, I feel like, don't also acknowledge the fact that violence can occur in a long-term relationship that's otherwise healthy. Yeah. It's not, it's not exclusive to any sort of one type of relationship or instance ever at exactly. all. Exactly. You can't pick and choose when yeah. it comes to sexual abuse and sexual violence. Um, and people, not to, not to generalize, but many of the people that I interact with who are in an older age bracket like to or rather not like to, but um, lean on the notion that younger people these days are not paying attention to the things that are, quote, actually important. Yeah. Um, and it makes me question, why, why do we have different definitions of what we think is more important? And um, why are we unable to, to accept that something that's so clear-cut and proven isn't important and won't be perpetuated through a presidential campaign and the presidency and the new administration that comes with that presidency um i think that when it comes to to your friends your family your sisters your mothers your daughters um and in the case of men too brothers parents you can't pick and choose yeah you'll never be able to pick and choose Um, so it's difficult to see in any case, really difficult to see somebody so strongly and with conviction scream something from the top of the mountains and then for one reason or another backtrack and say, oh, well, maybe I'll reconsider. Um, I don't think there's much reconsideration when it comes to sexual violence and sexual abuse. And I don't think that it's superficial. He's an abuser and he mistreats women or she's an abuser, she mistreats people. I should be saying people, not men and women. I'm so sorry. No, it's-, um, it's more than that because it transcends into the continuance of this culture that we're trying to eradicate. Yeah. And it'll perpetuate for years and years to come. If you allow this to slip by in the presidency, it's not just the few months leading up to the actual election. It's going to follow you for that entire four years eight years however long it may be that the person is in power and continues to be in power after the presidency is over and this is applicable to every single industry that there is society if you allow if you allow one person a free pass think about the so many other people that are underneath that tier that are in close contact with that one person who are going to think that it's okay to perpetuate these ideals that you just offhandedly decided to brush off your shoulder it's much more than a a selfish consolidation of an incident to just a few months what might take a few weeks or a few months to talk about 
to publicize, to get loud about, is really going to have lasting effects for years and years to come. And no matter how big or how small the allegation is, if you could even quantify it like that. Um, so yeah, it's disappointing um, to see people pick and choose, especially yeah. people yeah. With, with such a large influence over um, our society. Yeah. But I, yeah. I really like that point that you made about how, you know, it's just, if you, if you pick and choose, like you said, it just perpetuates for years and years to come. Like, it, it'll mm-hmm. just keep going. I think that's how a lot of the... Cute. <laughs> I think that's how a lot of the um, issues in our society have kind of been so prolonged. It's because instead of weeding it out and fixing it and doing something about it, we just kind of brush it off and it keeps going on. Like it continues. It doesn't have an end. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where we need to get to the root of the problem, especially about something as horrible as this type of violence um yeah yeah no I 100% agree yeah. um yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah. I just I just wanted to say I hate that I even have to say this especially um as both of us as, as we identify as women um I just I hate to say that we need to protect ourselves, but in in a sense, we just need to protect ourselves and others, and we all need to look out for each other. That's it. Whether yeah, men, women, non-binary, doesn't matter. We all just need to look out for one another and care about one another. And really, when you think about it, the work that we're doing right now, of course, it's for us. It's justice for us and the things that are happening right now. But really, if you if you think about the impact that if one person, if every single person did something to change policy, to be loud about something, to make something known, to publicize, to make your friends and family aware of this injustice that exists in our society, yeah. you're really not, you're helping yourself a little bit, but really you're helping the many, many generations that are going to come after you so that they don't have to face the same thing that you, the same injustice that's been done to you. Yeah. It's a domino effect. It really is. Yeah, most definitely. So I think in that sense, it's kind of silly to say that the youth of this generation um, are misplacing their, their knowledge, their, uh, yeah just their involvement it's it's silly because how how is a helping the next generation a misplacement of <laughs> advocacy i yeah priorities it's yeah yeah i just the more that we advocate for one another the better our world and our society is going to be most definitely that's just mm-hmm. that's all we have to do just pre- like support people that's protect right and it's no it's no different from yeah advocating for this sort of thing is is no different from advocating for like i don't know foreign affairs international affairs internal affairs anything it's it's all the same yeah that's why (laughs) i don't i don't know why we have to have this tier of what some people of of what you think is more important and what you think is less important it's all important 
why why does that have to be like a high like there's no hierarchy it's just all of these they, we don't have to take them one at a time we can do with them all exactly it's a group effort <laughs> yeah exactly it's like well you're advocating for this sort of thing i'm gonna be over here doing this and you yeah. know what it's in the end it's all gonna help everybody yeah and we you could can even be supportive switch. of the work <laughs> yeah like, yeah man i just think we all need to we just all need to do better and that's why i'll literally die on this hill of like it doesn't have to affect you for you to care about it <laughs> it does yep. not have to affect you for you to care about it you don't have to be living in the woods to care about the environment you don't have to have been abused or know somebody that's been abused to care about survivors and helping them and advocating for them you don't have to mm-hmm. you don't have to be a minority to care about any issues that minorities face you just do better use your mind think you also you, you don't have to be a genius to be able to engage in constructive conversation regarding yeah. the injustices that exist it's just because i feel like that's a lot of people's inhibition is that they don't want or they're rather afraid to discuss something on the basis mm-hmm. of maybe my intellect is not strong enough or i don't want to get yeah. the wrong idea i don't have time i'm busy etc cetera, etc cetera. i don't want to sound dumb even, even a small engagement in these types of constructive conversation really truly goes a long way if not for yourself but for the people that you're speaking to yeah because every (laughs) i hate to plug my own podcast while i'm doing it but every really every episode of these podcasts you know that i do i learn something new and i'm just uh, that's my way of expanding my mind and my perspective you know because exactly like educating i'm always one for educating yourself and trying to learn but it's also good to have discussions with other people who might know more than you do or even just like have a different perspective than yours that you never consider yeah now that you're considering it you see really how kind of one track minded or tunnel vision your perspective was um mm-hmm. right but yeah and yeah. and just our large community of peers especially at our institution that's um been under fire rightfully so recently for their complacency and all of the recent allegations um oh, as they should be <laughs> as they should exactly um but it's so important that and i'm so glad i've really been enjoying your podcast episodes <laughs> but it's really important to be able to share this information with our peers who are surprisingly at least surprisingly to me uh very polarized in their opinions about how our institution is handling uh, these instances <laughs> yeah a lot of it is selective ignorance I think but that's for another day <laughs> um, yeah I think it's I think it's mainly out of fear than like malice or anything um, malicious mm-hmm. intent but right. I do think you can't you you can't state like ignorance is not bliss <laughs> I've never subscribed to that ignorance is not bliss yeah because yeah, you might think it is but that doesn't mean it can't cause problems for you later because everything's a ripple effect you know the butterfly effect Uh, exactly yeah trickle down as well it's definitely very prevalent no for sure but um yeah i think that's a good stopping point but i admire you incredibly every single day of my life um (laughs) thank you i love you i love you too you're such an amazing person and so strong and kind-hearted and just I, I very much value your friendship and I am very thankful for you 
Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm so beyond words, so <laughs> indescribably appreciative of everything. You've just, you've been there for me so often. Um, so I just really, really appreciate you. And I'm so glad. Thank you for having me. Um, it's been really great. Thank you for being here. Yeah, no, this is great. Um, and yeah, for anybody who's listening, if, if you ever need any resources, guidance, a shoulder to lean on, etc., you are more than welcome to at enter whenever um, to contact me and I'm, I'm here for everybody. So yes, please, yeah. please, please message us. I don't care for what, just please message us. Um, yeah. Yeah. I will definitely, we will definitely be ears for you to um, talk to, but most <laughs> thank you for being a part. I love you. I love you. I love you so much. Thank you. I love you too. So, so much. And I can't wait to see you. <laughs> okay, guys. So that was the end of the episode. Um, I know, once again, that was a very difficult um, discussion to have. But I've, I very much do think that it is important to have um, so yeah, uh, I'll have another episode in another two weeks probably, but once again, um, if this issue affects you, please reach out to someone you trust or any hotline, there's no shame in it, um, or even me, anything, please. Um, but yeah, I'll see you guys soon.